Okay, here we go. Got the zoom, got the zoom, got the zoom rolling. So just for a little recap, in case uh, any of us didn't make it last week. So we talked about the concept of the 13 principles of the Rambam, 13 principles of Maimonides. And the basic idea was is that these are 13 principles every Jew must believe. This is the core of what it means to be Jewish. The source of that, it's not something that the Rambam can just make up. You can't invent it because something as fundamental as this is not created by a person. You have to have a tradition from Akash Baruch to Moshe Rabbeinu at Harsinai coming down, giving us those core facts. The Mishnah tells us in Sanhedrin, every Jew has a portion in the world to come unless the person commits certain averas or uh, they deny certain fundamental truths of the Torah. Why is that? Because what a person feels about something, what a person believes about something, changes what their actions mean. And the doctor, I, I should ask permission before even venturing to say this, um, but I once heard a lecture about cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And the, the, the parable was as follows. I'm paraphrasing it. You're walking down a hallway, and all of a sudden you feel something sharp jab you in the back. What are you thinking? First thought. Someone's attacking me from behind. I was attacking you, right? I would be angry. Then I turn around, and then when I turn around, I see it's a blind man with a cane. So now all of a sudden, because of what was going on in my mind, so now all of a sudden my perception of what happened changed. Right? Is that somewhat accurate? Somewhat accurate. Okay, if I can get somewhat from the doctor, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Very accurate. Very accurate. So that is what the That's 13... That's called cognitive reframing. What? That's called cognitive reframing. Okay. So cognitive reframing. So cognitive, the way you think, and you're reframing it. And that's what the goal of the 13 Ikram are, is to reframe everything about Yiddishkeit. So the Rambam actually doesn't call them 13 principles, he calls them 13 foundations. And if you take a quick look at what the Rambam says, the Rambam says that a person who, does, who is lacking these 13, he's not fully Jewish. People who come to convert in a Beisden, the tradition is, is that Beisden tells them you need, to, you need to memorize these 13 before you join. Okay, that's the quick, quick uh, summary, and now let's dive into number one. So, first thing is, is that without knowing it, you guys might know the 13 principles by heart. How do I know that? Because it's in the davening. The Yigdal. Yigdal is written, we don't really know who wrote it, but the Yigdal is a paraphrase of the 13 principles in rhyme. And also, you have, at the end of davening, you have animamen. Neither of these were written by the Rambam. We don't know who wrote it. It's unknown authorship, but they are accepted as being representative. Even though the Yigdal is very short and you have to make the rhymes fit. So if you're that limited, you're obviously not going to be perfect, but it's really important. So I want to do a two minute exercise here. Um, and I want to basically pass, pass out one a sheet and basically just look at the first two. You can look at it in the Hebrew or the English. I just want you to 
just a challenge here to see how many separate points you can come up with. Let's see. Uh, I think like this, Gabby, I can share my screen. Yes. Is there a book on the shelf that you can easily get that 13 Um. Well, the only thing we're focusing on is the first one. Yeah. So I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure if you would need. It. I'm not sure if you would need it. Let's see. Pull this up here. Okay. So we're just looking at the Yigdal and the Animam and how many different points you can come up with. I'm curious what the biggest number we're going to come up with here is. What's, what is he trying to say? I'll give you another 10 seconds. I came up with five. Who wants to start with one? Any, po any point that comes out from either the Yigdal or the Animamen. What's the message? What's the idea? Or a idea? That Hashem is creator, the okay. past, present, and all the actions are always Hashem, Okay. So creation, number one. Number two, Hashem does all actions. Great. Any other ones? Eternal. Eternal. Great. And in the Yigdal, in the Yigdal, we say Hashem's eternal. There's no time is, for His existence. Is, right. And do we say we said he, he does everything? Do we say He's the Creator yet? Do we, do we have to use the Creator yet? Did he, he created creates. everything? Yeah. Right. That he, he did. Creates. Okay. But also He guides. Manhig. Guides. Great. Hashem guides all of creation. Not only does He create it, not only does He do actions, He guides creation. And the one most fundamental one is that Hashem exists. That's number exists. five. Hashem exists. And you probably go to six. Hashem alone does all this. Okay, Provado. beautiful. Okay, excellent. So it's Hashem that is the only one. Okay, beautiful. And this and these five points are not even the actual quote. You see that long, the longer uh, citation over there. Those are the Rambam's words. That's the fully fleshed out version that he brings out yet another point. Let's start with the basics. The very, very basics here. And uh, the more you go into Yiddishkeit things, you realize that the most basic things in the world are the most powerful things and the most overlooked. I remember I was substituting in TA in Baltimore. I was subbing part of the trial by fire of becoming a Rebbe is subbing. And you basically got to stick your neck out there and sometimes get it chopped off. Sometimes you make it. You got you to gotta do it. And you do everything because you want to show the school, you know, I'm ready to do whatever, whatever you ask me to do. So I was in a first grade class and I was telling them about a certain story in the Torah. And the boy asked me in the most innocent, pure way. We were talking about, if I remember correctly, the Mishkan. The Mishkan, the tabernacle, the small base of Mikdash that followed the Jewish people in the desert. So he turned to me and he said, Rebbe, you know all the stories like in the, in the Torah? Are they all true? Did they all really happen? And when he asked me that question, a chill went down my spine. I said, whoa, this is like 
the chance to be the link in the chain, going back 3,000 years to Matantara to be able to tell him. And I said, every single story happened. Whether or not every detail in the Torah is exactly like it looks like, or as well as far, yes, the Torah is true. Everything that it, that 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 the Torah says happened. The most basic facts are the most powerful. So start with the first thing: Hashem exists. <clears throat> okay, pretty straightforward. Now, if this if these are the building blocks between. HaKadosh Baruch Hu and us, what connects us to Hashem, it's pretty obvious, because if you're trying to relate to Hashem, have a relationship with Hashem, you obviously need to relate to something that actually exists. Pretty obvious, right? But if you look historically, the philosophical world and the scientific world used to be very much intertwined, and scientists slash philosophers did their best to deny Hashem's existence. And one of the ways they did it is by saying, as the Ramban quotes in, Parshas, in, in the Parshas of, of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, that Olam Kadmon, the world always existed. The problem was that if you go back in the early 20th century, there was evidence of something which later became known as the Big Bang. And the Big Bang basically says that all of matter that exists in the cosmos was all smushed together, to use the technical term, in a tiny point, which they call a singularity. Why it's, why, how that happens, that goes against the rules of physics, whatever, kasha, it's a kasha. But everything started back at one point, at one point, because you can see the universe is expanding. Eventually, if it's expanding, that means that before it was smaller and smaller and smaller and it began. Scientists didn't like that. And the reason they didn't like it is because if there is a beginning, then perforce there must be a beginner and they didn't like that because to acknowledge that there's a Hashem who created all of that is something they wanted to avoid. In 1965 science could no longer escape it based on certain uh, high-powered antenna that was picking up background radiation that made the Big Bang the currently accepted fact in the scientific world today. So what do scientists do now? How do you remain an atheist with that? Good news, 90% of astrophysicists are still atheists. <laughs> and I've got that from a Nobel level, from cos- a high level. cosmologist. High level. <laughs> Who's not an atheist, but, not an atheist. <laughs> but 90% of his colleagues are. So listen, listen carefully to the degree of, it's almost like Talmudic, like how they're trying to get out of it. So they said like this, when the Big Bang began, we've got to listen closely. When the Big Bang began, it's not just that all of matter expanded into the world that exists. Time itself came into existence. So don't ask me what came before. You can't say what came before if there was no time before. So it's like, you know. But at the end of the day, this is foolish. And the reason why it's foolish is, even if you can't ask about time because you have this whole complicated thing, you have to explain where everything comes from. Everything, all of matter is combined into this singularity. Where did the singularity come from? How did, how did it bang? How did that happen? So I was once listening to a debate between, I don't necessarily recommend this, but this is when I was younger and much less intelligent. Um, and the debate was between a, he was more of a Christian fundamentalist guy and a, some other scientist, you know, 
card-carrying atheist. And the card-carrying atheist basically challenged, and he said, Oh, yeah? So where did God come from? Oh. So, but that's also foolish. Because eventually you're going to have to stop. Greg, what do you want? So what, what does the scientist want to say? Okay. Well, yeah, you're right. So, again, this is all Shekhar. This is all not true. I'm just saying this for to point out the, the ludicrous nature of it. Okay, there's not, it's not God. God was created by God number two. Then you're going to ask, where did God number two come from? And then eventually you're going to go around and around and around, and it's foolish. You eventually have to get to a point of Melech Malchi Amlach HaMakadosh Baruch that there's one God who created everything, who's the source of everything. The fact that there is a being that exists beyond time, beyond space, beyond anything we can, we can imagine is inescapable. You cannot escape it. And that is the Yigdal. Nimtza, again, the first part of Yigdal is not a statement of faith. The first part of Yigdal is a praise of Hashem. Yigdal Elokim Chai, the, the living God should be exalted, v'yishtabach, and praised. That's not a statement of faith. Nimtza, he exists, v'ein ace, and there is no time, elements of Yusite, for his existence. That is the depth of what's going on in the Yigdal. The, the source of our belief the Raman talks about this in the Mishnah Torah as well, in the beginning of Yisobiyat Torah. The foundation of all belief is that there's a Baruch that comes before everything else, which is actually going to be another Iker. Tadwain, Hashem comes first. But fine. Timelessness. So in, when you hear about people talking about proofs for God, they'll, they'll very often talk about design. Look how complicated the world is. Look how sophisticated the world is. If you would see a pen lying around, you would you would never say that it came up by accident and so on. But it's much more basic than that. Not even if you would find everything which which was entirely not sophisticated. You should still ask the question, where did anything come from? Let's imagine everything would be not sophisticated. How does existence exist? How is anything here? So scientists, when they try to deal with that issue, they, it's when you hear it. If you haven't heard it before, it's really just—it's really laughable. Again, scientists are extremely smart, and they are—they create amazing things for society in the world of medicine, in particular. It's astonishing. So I'm not a anti-science person. This is a particular dealing with our emuna with Hashem. So when the scientists are basically challenged and they say how does such a perfect world exist so everything is fine-tuned whatever is a gazillion examples so they say like this you're right you say that there is a universe uni as in one as in unicycle right there is a uni this universe is good but really there's something called the multiverse multi as in multi as in multiple there are actually many, 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 many other universes which are totally non-functional. We happen to get lucky. We happen to get lucky. And we happen to be in the one that makes sense. Again, there is no scientific evidence for the multiverses because they have the kasha. Because I have the kasha. And the kasha is, how could it be that the world is so good? I have to invent this concept of the multiverse. Rabbi Wasserman says that... The foundations of Amuna are things which are basic, they're intuitive, people who are thinking honestly, who don't have negias, who don't have their own biases to think about. It's very basic. It's something that you can explain a child. It's how Rabbi Khan explains. How can you expect a 13-year-old boy to believe the principles of faith and belief in God? Didn't Plato and Aristotle struggle with this concept? 
Rabbi Hanan says, because a person who's objective and a person who thinks about basic facts has to come to this conclusion without fighting it. The Pasuk says in Tehillim, Amar Naval Belibai, a novel literally can mean a disgusting person, a disgraceful person says in his heart, Ain Elohim, there is no God. Every, the Mepharshim explain what they mean by that is everything is random. And this is the fact that the person who's saying it is not a philosopher. It's the low person. The novel is the one who's saying in his heart, there is no God. Okay, so now we have now become deists, right? A deist is a person who believes in God. There is a concept of God. So when I looked up uh, the concept of deism in Wikipedia, Wikipedia, the source of all truth, tells us, Deism is the belief in the existence of God, but specifically in a creator who does not intervene in the universe after creating it. You ever heard of the idea of the twisting watch? Right, the, the watchmaker. They look at Hashem, again, as a checker, but they look at, at Hashem as the, per, the one who makes the watch, winds it up, and just lets it go. That's the deist view. When the Ramam talks about the source for this, 13, this first of the 13 principles, he quotes a Pasuk for every single one. So if you look at the very bottom of your sheet, the very, very bottom, it says, on the longer quote towards the end, this first foundation, what is what instructs us about this statement? Anochi Hashem I am Hashem your God. I am Hashem your God. But what's how does that process keep on continuing? This is the first of the Ten Commandments. I am Hashem your God who Perfect. So I am that I I'm not it doesn't say I am the God who created the world. It's I am Hashem who took you out of Mitzrayim. Why does Hashem introduce himself to the whole Jewish people by saying I'm the one who took you out of Mitzrayim and that I'm the God who created the universe. Why don't you say that? Because what, what he's doing is continuing, not just creation and then ah, Okay, beautiful. So Zat the Rush, the Rush is one of the great Rishonim, says a powerful statement. Who do, the person who doesn't believe in Asher Hotzeisicha may Eretz Mitzrayim, the, if a person doesn't believe in Hashem's Hashkacha Pratis, he doesn't believe in the second part of the Pasuk, you don't even believe in God then. If you don't believe in Hashkacha Pratis, if you don't believe in Hashem's, not just His existence, but His orchestration, you also don't believe in the fact that Hashem exists. Why is that? Rav Yaakov Weimar, the late Rosh Hashiva of Neri Yisrael, explained, because the fact that God exists is irrelevant to you if He has no active involvement in life. What difference does it make? Okay, so you can look back and however long ago Hashem created the world and say, okay, that's a, that would make Hashem into a, a historical fact about as relevant as the names of Christopher Columbus's three ships. Why is that relevant? Who cares? Hashem needs to have active involvement. What? My third grade teacher cares. <laughs> exactly right. I still remember. The name of Santa, Santa, Santa Maria. How can it be? You guys are good, good, we all have good, good education. I know much more. So the concept of Hashem needs to be a life-changing fact in our present life. That's what the Yilgim al-Ikram are. Again, it's, it's creating that backbone of our relationship with Hashem. 
And if you look at the Animamin, that's where the Animamin says, this is our second point, Hashem is bore umanheg lechol like Rabbi Kleiman said. Hashem is guiding all of creation. Where does he get that from? Because the source of the Pasuk, the source of the Iker is, Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim. So again, just, to, just to, to sum up what we're saying here, before we get to the story, I want to end up with a story. The Jewish definition of emuna, of belief in Hashem, does not stop with this just philosophical idea that there is something called God, and then make, make up the rest as you go along. It requires belief in an active participant in our lives. That's what emuna is. It's not the shot that there's one level called belief in God and another level called belief in Ashkaka Prefis. As the Rush says, if you have an Hashem like Kecha, but you don't have a Sheritzikham Eretz Mitzrayim, you don't even have an Hashem like Kecha. You don't even have the belief in Hashem. You're missing out on that. And this, of course, creates the foundation for other Ikram that are going to come up. Hashem exists and is involved in the world. How? I'll tell you how. Because Hashem gives prophecy. He teaches the Jewish people right from, he teaches the world right from wrong. Hashem had a revelation at Har Sinai. That's the way Hashem is actively involved. Hashem rewards and punishes. Mashiach. Those are all ways that Hashem is actively involved in life. I uh, just want to end up with a Hashkacha practice story that I found to be a very moving story. You want to look it up on turnytime.com. It's called Good, Good Intuition. There is, a rab there is a rabbi in Deal, New Jersey by the name of Rabbi Stephen Ammon. So his wife wanted to stop by a, a cemetery before, maybe it was before the high holidays, and she wanted to daven, obviously to Hashem, we'll talk about that later, daven to Hashem in the merit of her relatives. So he goes along with his wife. The cemetery is in Staten Island. They drive from Deal to Staten Island, New York. And as he finishes davening, as he turns to leave, he sees there's a procession with nine people. So they call him over and they say, can you come so we can say Kaddish? Okay. This is a classic mace mitzvah. It's a case of a person passing away without anyone to to take care of it, to take care of it. So of course he goes. He, an he answers to the kaddish, and then everyone leaves. But he looks around and he sees that the coffin was placed in the ground, but none of the dirt was put in. So he has said, "But who's going to bury him? Who's going to do the kfura?" He said, "Don't worry about it. There's going to be a guy coming with a tractor, and the guy, and he's going, and he's going to take care of it." said, how could it be? This is a Jewish person sitting there. What? It's our mitzvah. All right. So it's our mitzvah to do. So he said, this person is obviously, this Rabbi Ammon is obviously not a Pashtun person, said, do you mind if I do the kvura? If I bury him? So I said, okay, I mean, if you want, go right ahead. So he spent the next hour and a half shuffling hour and a half shoveling this person and then before he leaves he had no idea who this person was he takes a look and he sees the name it doesn't mean anything to him but he makes a mental note of it because 
can't be that you have this whole story. He happened to be the tenth guy. He's not even from the city. He's not from the. He's not even from that state, and he was inspired to shovel for him for an hour and a half. He starts digging around. He can't find out who it is, and he calls someone who he who he knows knows a lot of people, Rabbi Neuberger of blessed memory of Neri Yisrael. So he called him and said, did you ever hear of such and such person? It doesn't say the name of the person. When he told Rabbi Neuberger the name, Rabbi Neuberger almost fell out of his chair. And he said, let me tell you a story. When you came to Yeshiva, your name was Stephen from Seattle, Washington. And your family, as you know, was very poor. Just for you to get on the plane to get from Seattle to Baltimore, they learned, he learned that Nari Yisrael was very, very trying. And eventually they were able to raise, muster up those funds. So, they needed to raise the money for his tuition. What is he going to do? The person that you just buried sponsored your yeshiva education for all of the years you were in yeshiva. This person, who nobody, apparently nobody knew him, this name, that person, was the person who sponsored your years in high school, your years in base matters, all of your years in yeshiva, you were the one who just buried him. Hashem is so big! Hashem is so big! In Rosh Hashanah we talk about Yom HaZikaron, that Hashem remembers everything. Hashem is intimately involved, Hashem understands what's going on, we'll talk about that more and more. The person who was quote-unquote forgotten, they didn't even have a minion for Kaddish. They didn't have a minion for Kaddish, they didn't have a minion for the Kvura, was never ever forgotten. Hashem, so think about it, a boy from Seattle learned in Baltimore, became a rabbi in Deal, New Jersey, went to a cemetery in Staten Island, specifically on the day that this one anonymous, totally anonymous, he didn't even know who the person was, Specifically on that day, not just on the day at the time of the funeral. If he came a few hours early, a few hours later, he would have missed it. The exact day that the sponsor needed him to come bring that whole false story circle. So the first step, step number one, trying to build our foundation, believing with perfect faith that Hashem exists and guides all of creation. Okay, stop it here.